Good morning. My name is Jonathan Chang, and I'm one of the pastors here at Cypress Bible Church. Many of us were affected by the winter storm this past week. Many lost power and water, and houses experienced flooding due to burst pipes. And I know that many of those affected were also in our church family here. And so I want you all to know today that as a church, we want to mobilize volunteers and we want to help those who were affected by this. And so if you go to our church website, cypressbible.org, on our homepage, we have a few links that you can, you can click on in order to be served. For, for those that were affected and you need help and you want uh, guidance on what to do, we have a link for you to click and there you can submit your info and we will reach out to you very quickly. If you want to be mobilized to serve, there's a link for you to sign up there as well. Uh, we also have giving for this fund. If you want to, there is an online link there that you can give towards this benevolent fund. Or we can even do text to give. If you text 77977 and select Benevolence Winter Storm 2021, you can also give to this fund. With this next unprecedented event that we are all enduring, I know many people and families that are hurt and discouraged and downcast, and it can be hard to choose to be joyful in this circumstance right now. But I want to encourage you with the words from Psalm 121 as we prepare to worship our Lord, which reads, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So be encouraged, because God is with you. He knows your hurt, he knows your pain, and he wants to comfort you. And also know that our church family is here for you, because when disasters happen, we get to see the church rise up and be the church. Know that you're not alone. We are here to walk alongside you, because that's what family does. All the earth come alive, lift your eyes to the morning let our hearts beat again with the lifeblood that never failed. Your love, it will never fail. Breaking down the divide in a holy collision. The divine disguise with the cross for our sin and shame. Our God, you will. See the lost in return, swing the doors ever wider. Sing and as it turns, love and mercy is on the rise. As the world falls into your life, all creation will see your life. Breaks the silence, and we need to cry. 
Father's love for us shown in sending his son Jesus. That was the message that uh, Peter preached in Acts chapter 4. It's the message that we still declare today, and it is the precious hope we hold to. I would invite you, even at home, to read along with me from Acts chapter 4, uh, verses 10 to 12. And uh, even though we're separated uh, distance wise, I would invite you to read aloud these words, this word of God from Acts chapter 4. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Thanks be to God. Yeah. 
to save. And uh, some of the most famous parables Jesus told are about lost things, being found, being saved. And I want to uh, read to you just a portion of, of uh, that list of lost parables that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. And then I want to pray for you together. But listen to Luke 15, the first few verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's pray. Father, Almighty God, Creator of this universe, we... Bless your name that you are mighty to save. We thank you that you are a God who seeks a lost people. That you have reached out to us in love through your son Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience to the Father, even to the point of death on the cross, that you might save those who are lost. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence among us right now, assuring us that we belong to the Father through the Son, Jesus, guaranteeing all the promises that God has made. And right now, Lord, I pray for your presence in the lives of your people. We know many have struggled this week for a variety of reasons. We've seen things in our land that uh, are beyond description. And there are people still in need and still suffering and struggling today and Lord we know you care we know your heart of compassion and love to us and so I pray Lord that you would pour that out in abundance that everyone who calls upon your name would experience the the joy and the blessing and comfort in the midst of the most difficult trying times 
that comes only from you. And that, Lord, as your people, that you would motivate us, inspire us, and empower us to be your people in this place at this time. That as you reached out to us in our lost condition, so we would reach out to others with your power by your Spirit. Lord, be honored in what we are delivering for your glory even in this moment. As we have sung together, as we have heard and read your word, as we listen to your voice, Lord, may you minister to us in a great way, but most of all, may our hearts be turned toward you so that we would see beyond whatever circumstances we're in at this moment and we would keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you for the assurance that we have of all that you have promised. And we ask this, and we ask for your blessing and peace and power. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Welcome, saint and sinner. There's room now for all. We're no longer cursed, no longer lost. We are now His children, by election and by blood. The joy to see you together at the cross. Every pilgrim, every prodigal, and every wayward son will find all that's worth finding as they Find all that's worth finding out. 
Amy and I uh, only lost power and water for a matter of hours at our house where so many were cold and dark for days and some continue to be without some basic necessities. When uh, we had some things restored, we invited uh, multiple different people to come to our house for some warmth or water, electricity, something. Um, and uh, eventually, uh, like, only one person was desperate enough to want to get that close to us in the end. It was heartbreaking to hear of so many damaged homes and so many in need, and, and to feel helpless, and to really feel helpless during a day or more when uh, we didn't have any connection. There was no cell service, no way to, to hear of how people were doing or what help they needed and then seeing lines outside of grocery stores and outside of gas stations and then to see no gas available and to get into a grocery store and to see empty shelves is quite jarring. During this time, Amy and I prayed bold prayers for you. And I think uh, uh, for much of that time, those prayers were individual. They were on our own because I was, as you can see, too emotional to pray out loud. But frankly, I also had to fight feelings of, of anger. Um, anger against uh, those in charge of our electric grid and uh, uh, those who didn't help us adequately prepare for what was ahead and officials or those who have position of responsibility who seemed to be negligent or worse in my mind to shift blame or those who use times like this to take advantage of other people and whenever I see a, a failure in leadership in, in crisis times it, it does make me angry and that's one of my many many faults so uh, one of the things that I tried to do in this past week was instead of praying judgment against certain people, I'm struggling to pray blessing because I want to be more like Jesus. And that's what God is at work doing in the lives of every one of you who names the name of Jesus, whose trust is in Christ, that God the Father is shaping you into the image of his Son. And he's even using winter storms and power outages and frozen pipes to do exactly that. And that's why, as I consulted with our elders this week, we decided to continue on this morning to finish out this series that we're in about becoming more like Jesus. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke, seven different scenes. This is the seventh week. Seven different scenes in the life of Jesus, his teaching, and, and helping us to understand what it means to be more like him. And this morning, the focus is seeking the lost like Jesus. Because one important sign that you're becoming more like Jesus is how you see other people. And it's easy to care about friendly, nice people who don't really need anything much from you. It's much harder to care about those you just don't like or those you might have a bias against, a bias against certain groups or types of people. But, you know, Jesus only had harsh words for the religious leaders who were arrogantly self-righteous and looked down on everybody. Jesus, on the other hand, everyone else was filled with compassion 
toward the helpless and the harassed. We read that in Matthew 9, for example. And, uh, Jesus reached out to the, the destitute and the diseased and, and to the poor and the untouchable. This, this morning, the familiar story in Luke chapter 19 shows a different type of person that Jesus reached out to, had compassion on, was seeking. And that is the rich and despised person. And, and frankly, that's one of the biases I have. That's the type of person that's very difficult for me to reach out to. People who flaunt their wealth and their greed. Social media influencers who parade their looks and lifestyle. People who use their position to prey on the vulnerable. Uh, that's the bias I have. And that's the type of person Jesus meets here in Luke 19. And look how he dealt with, with this person. We'll see this in verses 1 to 4. One day, uh, that's the wrong passage. But I'm going to read it from the Bible because I actually have one. Luke 19, verses 1 to 4. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. Well, in uh, ancient Israel, tax collecting was the uh, lowest rung on the occupational ladder. Tax collectors were the scum of society in that day for a couple of reasons. First of all, they worked for the occupying power of Rome, and, and uh, therefore they were considered traitors to the people of Israel. And uh, second, they were almost always greedy and uh, dishonest, and men who economically raped their own people. The, the idea of a good tax collector was kind of an oxymoron, and uh, so much so, it was so rare that there was a Roman writer who told of a town that encountered a, an honest tax collector, and they erected a statue to his honor. So, Luke's point here in chapter 19 is, is that Zacchaeus was a bad man, and that uh, local people hated and despised him. And he wasn't an ordinary tax collector either. He was an architelones, a chief, likely the top guy in, uh, in Jericho. And, and Jericho was a major customs center. The fact that uh, he was rich only affirms that he had a powerful position and that he was almost surely dishonest in that position, as was expected in that day. The other fact about Zacchaeus is that he was intrigued by Jesus, very much so. Uh, because people, obviously, at this point, were talking about an amazing teacher who did miracles that they couldn't comprehend. And, and uh, Zacchaeus wanted to see this Jesus. And plus, he was also aware, I'm sure, that Jesus had a reputation for being friendly with tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers and other people that weren't accepted by polite society. So he wanted to see Jesus, but he couldn't because of the crowd. So now at this point, uh, there's something I learned in Sunday school that's, that's not maybe quite right. Maybe. And I learned a song, maybe you did too, I don't think we sing it anymore, but Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, so he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he came to see. It might sounds a little politically incorrect to me now, but that, we sang it when I was a kid. The part that might not be accurate is that it may not have been Zacchaeus, who was short, uh, but Jesus. The, uh, the antecedent of he, who was short, is just as likely to be Jesus as Zacchaeus when you look at the Greek text. And, and this isn't an important difference, but I think it helps to, to realize and remember that Jesus was not a six-foot-two blonde Aryan. He was a, a Middle Easterner, olive-complected, dark-haired, uh, average in that way, uh, average size likely for a man in that vicinity 2,000 years ago, and the average height for a male 2,000 years ago in that part of the world was five foot five. And when a, a crowd of people surrounds anybody, they're hard to see unless they're standing on a platform. And it's possible that Jesus himself was shorter than the average man. It's possible. 
And of course, then the crowd made it impossible for Zacchaeus to see, so he climbed the tree. Or that Zacchaeus himself was less than five foot five, and so he headed for a better view up a tree. Uh, there are a couple of important details here. First of all, he ran ahead, Zacchaeus did. And rich man of position did not run. He did not. It was undignified. It was also difficult, given the clothing of that day. You have wearing a long outer robe, very difficult to run, but that's what Zacchaeus did. He was so interested in Jesus, he was so motivated to see Jesus that he, he gave up his dignity and ran. And the second detail uh, is that uh, Luke specifically identifies the tree he went up into. Um, a sycamore fig tree. That one scholar says about this tree that, that because the branches are strong and widespreading, because it produces many lateral branches, it was not only an easy tree to climb, it was one in which you could easily be hidden. See, Zacchaeus wants to see who Jesus is, but he doesn't want Jesus to see him. There's shame. There's, he feels unworthy, Zacchaeus does. He's so curious to see Jesus. He, he runs to climb a tree, but he knows that if other people notice him, then, then he's going to be drawing their attention and the nasty looks and the verbal abuse and maybe some pushing, shoving, or throwing some things. And, and it, then Jesus would see how people felt about Zacchaeus. He didn't want that. There was some shame. Let, let me point out to you, Jesus seeks those who hide in shame. He seeks those who hide in shame. Verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and uh, said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. Now see, Zacchaeus had been hiding, but Jesus found him. Uh, Jesus wasn't concerned about Zacchaeus' occupation or his reputation, but he was deeply concerned about his salvation. And Jesus not only sees Zacchaeus despite his hiding spot, he calls him by name. That had to be pretty shocking. He knows who this guy is. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He traveled all the way from the distant country of heaven, Jesus did, to find us and save us from destruction. And perhaps like Zacchaeus, you're hiding in shame. Happens all the time. You're ashamed of what you've done. Or you're humiliated by what's been done to you. And you feel disgraced, embarrassed, degraded, unworthy, unacceptable. Know today that Jesus is seeking you. Out of his great love, the Father sent His Son into this world to free us from sin and shame and to bring us into an intimate relationship with our Creator. And Jesus invites you to come out of your shame and into intimacy with your Heavenly Father. Therefore, you have to do the same thing that Zacchaeus did. Quit trying to hide. Come down out of the tree and let Jesus in. Now, did you notice Jesus invites Himself to Zacchaeus' house? He invites Himself. He says, I must stay with you. That's in the original text. I, it's necessary, it's proper that I stay with you. This has to happen. And, and that word stay, the Greek, menai, it means to remain, to abide, to dwell. And the only other time this, this verb is used in Luke is, is when the risen Jesus meets those two men on the road to Emmaus and and as they walked, he taught them from all the scriptures about himself. And then the men begged Jesus to stay with them, and they shared a meal together. And that's the hospitality that Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I must have this from you. Jesus seeks those who hide in shame. Uh, I must have this, Jesus says. This was no little thing, this kind of hospitality. I mean, staying at somebody's house and eating from the same table was, was an intimate experience. In, in Jesus' day, when you ate with people, you really ate with people. You were close to them. I mean, no COVID restrictions either. I mean, you're, you're 
side by side around this table reclining together. You're eating from the same dish. I mean, everybody is using a hand to dip into the dish or they're tearing uh, from the same loaf of bread and using that bread to scoop out from the same bowl. Everybody else is using It's a very intimate thing to eat with someone in that day particularly. And it wasn't just about food. It was about friendship and acceptance. So who you stayed with and who you ate with said something about you. And who you refused to stay with and who you refused to eat with also said something about you. Jesus seeks those who hide in shame. And now, look at this. Jesus hangs out with the hated. Hangs out with the hated. Verse 7. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So this crowd knows exactly who Zacchaeus is. They classify him as a hamartolo, uh, that is one who unquestionably does sinful things. There, there's no dispute among the crowd about the kind of guy Zacchaeus is. His wrongs are open and obvious to everyone. It made me think, uh, who do I identify as a quote-unquote sinner? Who do you identify as a Sinner. Now, the good theological answer is everyone is. I mean, we know the truth of, of Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But don't we tend to categorize sinners anyway in our humanness? Don't we look at some as being worse than others? So I want you to think for a moment. You don't have to share this with anybody but God. Who are the people you despise, that you loathe? that you feel contempt for, that you look down on in your heart of hearts? Who are the sinners that you see? You, know, as you might remember that there was a guy a few years ago, just a couple years ago, that for several years running had the title Most Hated Man in America. I mean, here's what he looks like. Um, Martin Scarelli. And uh, let me tell you about him. He was known as Pharma Bro because he's responsible for raising the, the price of a life-saving drug from, by, by 5,000%. I mean, the, each pill was $13, and it was increased to $750. And uh, as a pharmaceutical executive, he also was accused of cheating investors out of millions of dollars. And this picture of him testifying at a House committee hearing increased the outrage because of his smirk. Well, that's Zacchaeus. That, that, that's Zacchaeus. The most hated man in Jericho. A sinner. A martolo. And so the crowd grumbled. And that grumbling, it's a word that, by the way, only appears one other place in the New Testament, and it's for the same reason. I, I read it earlier. It's, it's in the, uh, Luke chapter 15. It's when the people are murmuring against Jesus and the, uh, the leaders are murmuring against Jesus because he's associating with sinners. And th that word for grumbling, is, it's the noise of like a, a humming beehive. Just And it's all the people, they have a problem with what Jesus is doing. They all had something to say, so they complained, they criticized, they condemned what was happening to each other. What's Jesus doing? How dare he? This is outrageous. What a disgrace. He's befriending a sinner. By the way, the word sinner is the same one Jesus used when he told the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. When uh, he said there is rejoicing in heaven when just one sinner repents. Uh, that, that should be the spiritual response of a sinner who repents, joy. Uh, the crowd, they grumble. They criticize. Clearly, they don't believe a sinner like this could change or, or isn't deserving of a chance to change or, or he needs to be ostracized and judged rather than receive grace. But really, joy is a very important theme in the Gospel of Luke. And, and I want to ask you this question. As uh, we think of this passage about the joy that comes from one sinner who repents. The question is, have you found such joy in Jesus that it changes how you view sinners? 
This is this theme of joy. In Luke's gospel, it starts with the announcement of Jesus' birth, and it goes all the way through his ascension, that, that same word for joy, or repeated, and, and Jesus is the source of joy. And in fact, it's the exact emotion that Zacchaeus felt when he climbed down to the tree, and, and he welcomed Jesus gladly, joyfully. That's the same word. Jesus is the source of joy. Do you have such joy in him that it changes how you view those people you see as sinners. Well, the, the final part of this story is that Jesus saves the lost. Yeah, he, he seeks those who hide in shame, and he, he hangs out with the hated, but he saves the lost. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, what, what's happened here, I think, although it's not really, really clear in the text that there's a change of scene, that Jesus and Zacchaeus went from the base of that sycamore tree to Zacchaeus' house, as Jesus said he must do, and they, they've sat and had a meal together, and then in the middle of all this, Zacchaeus stands up and he, he stops everything, and he makes this incredible claim. Half of everything goes to the poor, and, and if I've cheated anybody, they get quadruple the amount back. This incredible act of generosity was not required by Old Testament law. So why does Zacchaeus do this? Well, Jesus says, salvation's come to this place today now Zacchaeus wasn't saved because of his generosity he was generous because he was now saved he was lost but now he's found his identity had been sinner but now he was set free and in its fullest sense that's what salvation is it's freedom from the the penalty and the power of sin that's what Jesus came to do now Zacchaeus I think that the main sin in his life seems to be that of materialism that he was pursuing wealth in order to get significance and security and salvation you might do that same thing that might be the sin that attracts you you're looking to something else money or something else to give you significance to give you security to give you salvation but when he's found by jesus zacchaeus is set free from the controlling power of that sin and that's what Jesus came to do. God sent his son behind enemy lines as one of us to save us. Scott Winnick tells about his friends, Dave and uh, Debbie Johnson. And Dave was a pastor. And he got a call to a church in Minnesota. So Dave and Debbie packed up all their belongings and their, their, took their two little kids and uh, traveled across the country to take this church, this ministry in uh, Minnesota. And Six months after they got there, Debbie was diagnosed with cancer, and less than a year later, she died. But Scott says she didn't have to die. That's because the, the cancer was diagnosed in time, and with proper treatment, she probably well would have been cured. But you see, Debbie, when she got that diagnosis, was pregnant. And in order for the child to live, she refused chemotherapy and radiation. And so for those months, she struggled to stay alive. She struggled with that pain. And she fought that cancer long enough to give birth to her child. And shortly after the baby was born, Debbie went to be with the Lord. She died so her child could live. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He died so that we might live. Taking our sin upon himself, he, he became the perfect sacrifice so that all who trust in him will never be put to shame. For all who are in Christ, you're set free from the penalty and the power of sin. As, as Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now the people grumbled because this was not the Messiah that they expected. They were looking for one who would conquer evil the way they wanted it conquered. See, they, they wanted judgment to fall. They wanted wrath to crush the oppressors 
the sinners. They wanted God's judgment to hit people hard like Zacchaeus. But Jesus came to defeat evil by taking it on upon himself. By absorbing its judgment, disarming its power. Jesus defeated evil by identifying with the sinner, by taking our sin on himself to the cross. The one who had no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, Scripture says. One of my heroes is George Whitfield. He was an evangelist in early America. And uh, uh, he, he, about this passage, he said this. He said, I don't care how many legalists and self-righteous Pharisees murmur against me for offering salvation to the worst of sinners. For I know the Son of Man came to seek and save them. He goes on, he says, the Lord Jesus will be a guest to the worst, vilest sinner among you if he does but believe on him. Make haste then, O sinners, make haste and come by faith to Christ. Then this moment, if you believe, Jesus Christ shall come and make his eternal home in your hearts. Which of you is willing to receive the King of glory? Come then, poor guilty sinners, come away to Jesus. He invites himself to come under the filthy roofs of the houses of your souls do not be afraid to let him in he will fill you with all peace and joy in believing i love that that's what jesus came to do so here's how you can become more like jesus you seek out those who are hiding in shame you hang out with those who are hated You don't become like them, but you hang out with those who are hated. And you point everyone to the Jesus who saves. So the question that I ask myself is one I want to ask you this morning. When you look at people, will you be critical or Christological? Will you... You know, it's so easy to feel self-righteous. It's so easy to avoid those who seem far away from God. And yet that's the very opposite of what Jesus did. And so I need to repent of my critical spirit. And I need to see others through the lens of Christ. I need to overcome my biases. And believe me, I have them. And you probably do too. And need to be willing to connect with those that I have biases against, whether they're despised and marginalized or shamed and hated and point them to Jesus. The whole reason our Savior left heaven's glory, became human, lived a perfect life, suffered a bloody death and was raised to life, the whole reason for that was to seek and save those who were lost. And my dad was a pastor and uh, I remember my first lesson in soteriology. It didn't happen in a classroom Soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. And uh, here's how it happened. I, I was about seven years old, I imagine. At this point, I'd already uh, not only knew the gospel in that childlike way, but had responded in faith and confessed my sin and turned to Jesus as the only Savior at that young age. But of course, I was theologically naive at best at that age. See, my, my dad had his office at that point in time, his office in our home and his study. And it must have been a Saturday because I was home and, and I overheard some way that there was a, a troubled man coming to talk with my dad. That was not an unusual occurrence. And, but I just happened to overhear that this was happening. I didn't hear any of the details. I didn't know what he was coming for. I just know here was a stranger who was lost. So uh, that morning as my dad talked with this man behind the closed doors of his study, and I, I was toward the back of the house near the, in the kitchen near the back door just playing and, and waiting and wondering. And uh, when that meeting finally ended and that man was gone and my father walked into the kitchen, I, I, I ran up to him and I, and I said, Did you save him, Dad? Did you save him? My father looked down at me and he said, Daddy doesn't save anybody. Jesus is the only Savior. Now, now I I think I I knew that, but I also felt like my dad would be a pretty important part of the process. I had to learn some soteriology that Jesus is the only one who saves. 
And I never forgot that. Can you look at the worst and the lowest and the vilest and the least and remember that no one is beyond the saving grace of Christ? The one who came to seek and save those who are lost. May that truth bring you joy today. That you, if you are in Christ, are free from sin's guilt and shame. You're free because of Jesus. May that bring you joy. Joy that there's no sin that is greater than His grace. No matter who you are or what you've done, He is mighty to save. The one who came to seek and save the lost is there for you. And can you go and be more like Jesus today? Oh
receive this benediction from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may He comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Thank you all. Appreciate it.